Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. A new vision series that we had this last spring, six weeks of uh, being together that is talking about what God has been doing over the last two years, almost underground, and is starting to break uh, forth out of the ground. Uh, Stuff like, we want to put all of our eggs into this basket of discipleship. As a church, we want to go all in on following Jesus so that I follow Jesus and I help you to follow Jesus and you help people to follow Jesus. And we do that by recognizing that first we're loved. First, we're loved by God before we've done anything to earn it, before we've done anything to merit it. We're loved by God. And then he says, as children of mine, I'm sending you out. We're loved and we're sent. And we're constantly, constantly asking the question, what does it look like for me to grow up in my relationship with God in a community so much that it feels like family and then out to love and bless the world around? That's That's our driving force these days. That's the dream that we're pursuing as a church to say we want to do that. And as part of it is to say it's we don't want to be um, the church in the West has taken this model of a delivery model of church. That is you come and get filled and then you go on with the rest of your week. Right. And there are a few important people in the church or a few really important people in the church called pastors that uh, are in charge of your spiritual growth. And we're trying to dismantle that. Instead of a delivery culture of church, we're trying to move toward a discipleship culture and a we, the church mentality so that you find out how God wired you and you use that to equip the church. You use that to awaken the church. You use that... Uh, so that the church gets stronger. We are the church together. And we have an opportunity this morning in a little bit to, uh, to, to hear about ways that God is equipping and moving within the church. And I'm so excited uh, in just a little bit to talk about that. Uh, this morning, this morning is the last Sunday of Damascus Road as two separate campuses for worship. So this morning at West, they're having their last morning of worship over in Verona. Uh, They're talking about ways that God has shown up over the course of the last decade and a half, maybe, of going from a church plant called Living Hope to being merged as Damascus Road West. And now uh, they'll lock the doors on that space for the final time this morning. So you can imagine there's like this combination of emotions, right? There's excitement about what God has done, and for some of them, um, grief in that they've met in a place and seen God shown up in a place for a long time, and there's pain in that, and we want to hold those in tension, right? We don't want to say one doesn't count and the other does, or one isn't there and the other one's all there is, but both of those things are happening this morning, and I want to... I want to pray because next week we start a new era at Damascus Road as one combined group together and then dispersing to be the church wherever we are, right? Not just one church in two locations. One church gathered on Sundays going to be the church in a hundred different locations throughout the week, right? Also next week, we're starting a new series that I'm super excited about. We're going to be studying uh, the Beatitudes, this first section of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where he talks about blessed are the, and he goes through and he rifles through this number of different phrases, and we're calling it flourish. Asking the question, what does it look like for us to really flourish? What does it look like for us to thrive as individuals, as his church, as his body? What does it look like for us to really thrive and grow the way he talks about flourishing? So I'm so excited as we start our time together, um, combined, and as we look at that, as we dive into that, I know that God is doing some amazing things in us and through us, and I don't think it's going to stop, right? Uh, God is active. The gospel is moving here and around the world, and we get to be a part of that. So I told you we had uh, some fun just in hearing what God is doing. I want to invite Mickey and Fiona up. If you know Mickey, Mickey's a part of our Damascus Road family. 
she's got, uh, she's had this sense from God of him cooking some things up in her and leading her in ways that she couldn't have planned. But she started what she's calling the No Greater Love Project. And one of the emphasis is her just saying, I think God told me, I need you to go and, f- and record stories of servants of mine around the world who are looking after his children, who are spreading the gospel, who are being light in this world. You don't have to go find them. I'm going to bring them to you. All you need to do is follow me. All you need to do is respond. Sometimes I will literally put a mic in your hand when you didn't have that. And I want you to record these stories. So Mickey and Fiona are here. And it's a delight to have you. It's a delight, Fiona, to have you. I can't wait to hear more about what God is doing. Would you welcome them? Uh, Yeah. Good morning. Um, Thank you so much, Shannon, for giving us the opportunity to do this. Um, Yeah, so you already introduced it. Um, yeah, so literally last year on just a normal day, uh, I was just minding my own business, driving, and God, I heard him say my name, and he said, Michaela, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go and document the stories of my servants. And I didn't even ask why. I was just like, okay, which ones? <laughs> I don't, you have so many. Um, And he just said that these will be people that have laid down their life for him. So a series of events um, and, yeah, led up to God connecting me to Fiona. Um, I did not find her. He found her for me. Um, And, yeah, I'm just going to hand to Fiona now. Um, Yeah, why don't you introduce it is up there. Um, yeah. So, yeah, maybe I'll just read that. Um, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friend, friends. You are my friends. If you do whatever I command you. Um, And yeah, I just, God commanded Fiona to do some pretty crazy things that she is joyfully doing. And we are, I'm excited to get to document those things. Amen. Good morning, everybody. I just greet you in the Swahili greeting, which is our native language in the Democratic Republic of Congo. So I say Jambo Raviki. (laughs) (laughs) You have to reply Jambo Sana, which means greetings, yes. (laughs) And thank you, Pastor Shannon, for this privilege. This is really the power that goes out through our words is when we have the opportunity to to testify and give the real life story of what God does. That is for his glory. So every opportunity that we have for that glorifies him. So thank you. Um, I am from South Africa. My name is Fiona Koch. Um, I'm a hotelier by profession. Well, I was. And I live on the east coast of South Africa in a town called Durban. And in 2012, I was in my office on my own. And out of the blue, God just said to me, Fiona, he used my name, your life now is for the Congo. It was just one sentence. And um, the, the testimony of it is that I'm embarrassed to say I didn't know where that country was. I later found out there are two countries with the same name, Republic of Congo and Democratic Republic of Congo, which are next to each other in Central Africa and um, placed alongside the equator. Um, It was a period that um, I was financially, for the first time in a long time, very secure. Um, I had been widowed seven years before that and and gone through a lot of uh, challenges. 
And for the first time, I was just being able to breathe and support my children and to really just relax. So this came as a huge um, surprise to me, and it was very daunting. Um, in the next few weeks, I found out that this is a nation that is um, existing under a terribly ruthless dictator, Joseph Kabila. Um, they are a nation that suffer under the defilement of Satan um, for many generations now in the most terrible, horrific, and heinous ways you can ever imagine. So although it was surprising for me, I had a complete peace in my, in my, in my heart. And I was taken from that year onwards into a place where I lost everything. Um, I lost that job in the weirdest situation. I lost a second job after that, which was very well paid in the, in the career that I love. I lost my family home where I raised my children for many years. I lost my car. I um, just lost everything. I had to sell my possessions. <laughs> and in 2014, um, God started revealing to me why he wanted me to go to Congo and what the commission was. It was very specific messages that I didn't understand at the time, but they were very um, specific, and I really knew that this is what he wanted me to do. The first one is that his heart is broken because the nation of Congo has turned away from being in covenant with Israel. So they have the curse of Genesis 12, 3 over them, which is God's promise and his word to any nation who does not bless his holy nation, he will curse them. I will curse them. It's a promise and it's a declaration and a proclamation over nations. Um, he wanted that explained to the leadership of Congo. He also poured out his love um, into me for the, the president of Congo, that he loves him beyond words, that he wants him to have a second chance and he is just praying that he would repent and turn back to, to God for his um, personal eternal salvation. The third one, which <laughs> is very interesting um, today that we're praying for unity and speaking of unity, is that the Congolese church, the body, is completely divided. It is defiled with Catholic spirit, spirit of, uh, spirit of idolatry. It is not pure. It is mixed with... Um, traditional um, spirits which are not of God. Um, that was the next one. The unity, he wants that unity back. And he promises us that no matter what it looks like, how hopeless it seems in real life over the Congo, that Yeshua, our Savior, Jesus, is there. His spirit is operating there in the strongest way that we can ever imagine. He is redeeming that land. He's redeeming those people. They have lost hope. Their, their souls are dead because they cannot see him. Although they do believe in him, they cannot see his love. They cannot see the hope for the future. They cannot see the light. Um, their souls have died. And he was um, explaining to me that he's sending me out as the most unlikely laid down servant, um, an older white woman into the most dangerous part of the eastern Congo to be that beacon of light and to usher in um, all the blessings that Jesus offers us and to be um, that beacon of light, um, to bring back the restoration of um, spiritual restoration, physical and emotional restoration for the healing and he promises that that is, is on the way. Um, and, and I know that is true. I've seen it. I served over there from um, 2015 to 2017. I went out not supported by the church that I was attending because they didn't believe it was a commission of God. My family fought me on it. They were very angry with me. I had no financial support. I had no savings. 
the last <laughs> few dollars I had were stolen from me um, in Johannesburg Airport in South Africa as I was flying out at midnight. I was pickpocketed. I arrived in the Congo with nothing. Um, I was abandoned by the church that was supposed to be welcoming me uh, to serve with them because they realized I had no money and they weren't interested in me anymore. But um, it was a very difficult period, but it was a very victorious period. But I can truly say that I felt very isolated. I felt abandoned. I felt misunderstood. I felt very vulnerable. And I was under spiritual warfare attack from the minute I arrived there till the minute I left. My life became in danger. Um, I was accused of treason at um, the State Security Bureau, which is the worst crime that you can commit in Congo. It's instant imprisonment. Um, I had a warrant of arrest out for me um, and the police because I exposed some fraud um, within my ministry um, that was committed by members of the church under which I was serving as a missionary. So they were very embarrassed and um, they their motive was intimidation to get me to leave. So I have been blessed now to come out. I've had a rest period in uh, Mexico, actually, for the last eight months. And then in May, um, God just put Mickey and I together through a mutual friend that I haven't even met. This is how he works. Um, she also ministers in East Congo. Um, Mickey was over with her last year in Congo for her first trip. And that is how God brought us together. And I just want to, to show to you how today he just put that seal of confirmation of the two of us being joined together as different parts of the body, unusual parts, but both laying down our lives for this specific purpose. Um, the scripture that you read this morning during worship to Chronicles 20, that was the first scripture that Mickey and I prayed together over Skype because we were Skyping and that's how our relationship is built since May. She was led to show me that. We read through the whole chapter. Every single word <laughs> is pertinent to us, you know, going out in a small army but um, united and um, being brave and victorious and having the spoils at the end of it. So that was just the best confirmation for us. So thank you. <laughs> thank you, Holy Spirit, for that. We just are in totally in awe of how God is showing us that we cannot do anything in him on our own. And I think that was my boot camp when I was over there for two years is to, for him to really demonstrate that to me. And I know that to be true. And so I just really would pray that the Holy Spirit would just just let that dwell in your hearts, that even in our private lives, even in our walk with him, even in our missions and our, our going out into the world, we cannot do it alone. And if we think we can, we are already <laughs> deceived. You have to be covered by each other and, and joined and blessed by each other. So I'm going back now on Wednesday. Wednesday. <laughs> Um, God has been really gracious in providing everything that I need to be back. Um, I'm flying from Chicago on Wednesday to go back um, and live there. That is my home. Um, he has called me um, to bless the, the orphans of Congo who are the victims of the rebel massacres. Um, the rebels from Uganda and Rwanda come over the border into Congo on the east side um, there are now six million deaths by the most horrendous tortures and machete um, mutilations. Um, Congo is now the rape capital of the world. The most humanitarian uh, acts of um, against humanitarian rights are now committed in Congo, even more than Syria. Um, the nation is really just defiled with the blood um, of her people in the ground. The blood is actually in the ground, and all those bodies are there. But we know that we go back in victory. <laughs> and um, I just cannot tell you, Mickey, what an encouragement that is to me. Bless you. I love you. I love you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
well. Um, yeah. So thank you so much for sharing. So God has the dream. I just want to elaborate maybe a little bit more. The dream that um, God has put on Fiona's heart. Um, she is partnering with a pastor who is living in Goma. And Goma is bordering a big lake, Lake Kivu, in the Congo. In the lake is a big island. It is 80 kilometers long. I don't know what that is in miles. <laughs> like maybe 50 miles long. Um, and that island, you can only get there by motorboat. And even though the Congo has now for decades gone through uh, civil war, um, that island has been untouched by this war. And the rebels don't get to that island. Um, her dr the pastor that she is partnering with is taking care of 25 orphans that are sleeping in his church that is no more than a little shack. Um, but he has been committed and faithful to these kids for the past five years, sleeping with them on the floor. He doesn't even have a mattress. <laughs> he was working in the corporate world before. Um, and just that again, a laid down lover saying, God, God called him to these kids and he's willing to sleep on the floor to keep them safe from the rebels. Um, so he ignited a dream to get these children. He's overseeing another 150 that are in the neighboring Mugunga refugee camp. It is not a refugee camp as such. It is an internally displaced people camp. Um, just massive. Of all the people, so these massacres happen and the people are being herded um, into these, these camps, basically. Um, and, and these camps, there are some men, but mainly orphans and um, widows living there now. Um, these kids are then being recruited into being child soldiers, um, into prostitution, into trafficking, um, so it is time and like the urgency is great to come up with a solution. Fiona and Pastor Kefa in the Congo have the dream to build a village of refuge on Ijwi Island. It is a big dream <laughs> to get these kids over there. Um, but just in the past, this has come together in the past four months, and God has been faithful every step of the way. So we know that as we are faithful, he will be more than faithful to provide. Um, I had a vision uh, around that time that we met that I just wanted to share, and I didn't know that unity was um, the, the theme today that God put on our heart. Um, but God showed me a vision of Jesus's body and Jesus's body was it was ripped into pieces and it was like an arm here and a hand there and the head of Jesus over there and it was awful and I didn't want to look and the spirit said look at it look at it look at it and ponder that that is my body separated and do you know how it pains me to be to be divided like that the body is divided there's very little unity in the body um but god wants to restore that unity fiona being there this past time she's just touched a little bit of what she's gone through but i'm just convinced that Without Jesus and the body in this world, we can do nothing. <laughs> we need Jesus and we need the body. That's how he has made it. And for that, I mean, if I want to, if my mind tells me to pick up something from the floor, my back needs to yield, my knees need to yield, my hands need to yield, and it all needs to work together well to pick that thing that lies there up from the ground. No part can do it on its own. We all need each other. We all need each other. And you, every single one of you, you are such an important part of the body. And just that, um, to do whatever, that word whatever, you are my friends. If you do whatever I command you, that little word whatever is so powerful.
because sometimes we have our lives all set. I did not want to do these documentary films, believe me. I want to be an actress. <laughs> I want to be in front of the camera, not behind it. But God had different plans. And to say whatever, God, for your glory, because I love you, because I love you, because I love you. I'll do it, I'll do it, because I love you, because I love you, because I love you. Love makes everything easy. Love makes obedience enjoyable. <laughs> so um, it is a joyful thing to be obedient. It's not a difficult thing. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah, I just, if you will pray for this mission, um, it will be based on prayer, foundations of prayer, to get that village established. Pray for our safety as we go and document these stories, these stories, um, to wake up the body to, like, to, the purpose of these films is not just to tell cute stories, no. Um, these stories are powerful. And if you ever have watched videos that ISIS is making, you know, they're making these horrible videos, just recently they've been made by um, rebels in the Congo doing the same thing, and they spread fear. With these films, we want to do the opposite. We want to spread hope. And we want to show the world and the church that Jesus is alive and powerful um, and doing amazing things through his people and to get more people to come alongside of them so that the kingdom can be built on earth as it is in heaven. So thank you so much. Here's what I want to do right now. If you feel moved by uh, what God is doing um, in Mickey and in Fiona around the world, I'd, uh, and you feel called up, what I'd love uh, is just to have people, invite people to come up, lay their hands on Mickey and Fiona, and we'll pray for them. And then we'll, they'll also be available after worship this morning. Uh, for more questions and answers and prayer, and uh, we can talk about that a little bit later. But right now, if you want to come up, uh, do that, please. Oh. I'm so sorry. Where's Mike? I just want to give honor to Mike. He's another part of the body, and he will be going to the Congo with us. And we only very recently got to know each other. And he agreed to do this crazy thing with me, not knowing very much about me at all. But he just said to God, God, whatever. And where's Valerie? There's his wonderful wife <laughs> who also just surrendered and who lets her husband do whatever. Take him. <laughs> so we just, yeah, Mike, you need to come over here because you are totally part of this. We cannot do it without you. All right, you can scrunch in. If you can't reach them, reach somebody who can. Let's pray together. God, we give you glory. We recognize that you're alive, that you're moving today, that you are doing things that are unimaginable, that we couldn't even dream up on our own. And you tell us as we obey you that Mickey reminds us is joyful when we're walking in you, when we recognize who we are and who you say we are, when you call us to live in obedience to you, it's joy. No matter what happens, it's joy to walk with you. And we thank you for the way that you're moving. We thank you for uh, the visions that you continue to give. Thank you for the heart that you've given Mickey to respond to you, to be quickened to what you're doing, and for Fiona to lay her life on the line to follow you, Jesus. You say, uh, there's no greater love than to lay down your life. You did this, Jesus. You're the ultimate example of that. And Fiona's doing that as well. We thank you for the sacrifices she's made, and we pray uh, that you would continue to bless her because we know that you already have. Continue to bless, continue to lead, continue to empower, continue to show her uh, what it is to follow you. And we pray for an island. We pray that you would be generous. It's nothing for you to move mountains. 
you can provide. And we pray for refuge. We pray for children who need to be protected, for families who need safety and refuge. And we pray that you would make it happen. We thank you for stories in your body, of your body moving and responding to you. Help us to follow you. And thank you for Fiona and thank you for Mickey. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the, Mickey and Fiona will be around after worship this morning. If you want to, uh, if you have any questions for them about what's going on and you'd like to talk with them, they'd love to do that. If you want to pray for them, they would love that as well. And, and here's an invitation that I want to extend, and I'll do it again, hopefully at the end too. If you want Mickey or Fiona to pray for you, like sometimes we think, oh, I'll pray for you and what you're doing. But if you feel like God is putting a hand on you to say, they need to pray for you this morning. Uh, they've both said that they would welcome that. Um, so let's, let's continue. And then I'm going to see if this other mic works again, okay? Can you hear me? Good deal. All right, Mickey said it. We're going to talk about unity today, all right? As we move forward into an era in the church of together and as we see God moving all around the place, it seems like unity is a, uh, a proper thing to talk about. Now, sometimes unity can be really easy. If you're a Brewers fan these days and you've been to a game lately, high-fiving people you don't even know would be common practice, right? One of our elders... Kevin Fountain, who's like the finance guy and not normally a super emotional dude, uh, is a huge Cubs fan. A few years ago when the Cubs won the World Series, I heard that Kevin was just hugging random dudes uh, in the Cubs bar that they were watching the game in. There is a unity that comes when things are going well, when your team wins, when what you're cheering for comes easily. It's easy to be united there. Sometimes unity is revealed as being a thin unity, right? A thinly uh, constructed unity when stuff starts to fall apart. This lack of strength in the unity is revealed. When I played college soccer, I had, it's kind of an example of this for me. As a freshman, the upperclassmen on the team, I would say were not guys who were walking with a strong sense of unity. There was lots of bickering and blaming on the team. If you messed up, and I remember at times messing up, they would, they would just scream at you. And when things went wrong, there was lots of blame to go around. That's unity when things are easy, and not so much when stuff starts to get stressed. On the youth trip this summer, the kids had the opportunity to do like this low ropes challenge course, and one of the goals of the challenge course is to press out the ick. That, what I mean by that is the challenge course is intentionally hard and intentionally provokes frustration so that when frustration shows up, they have to learn how to deal with that together. Somebody's doing something that they don't want and somebody else is not listening. And when that happens, ick comes out. Now that's a gift because you get to recognize what's, what's going on inside once it comes out. But there's a thin unity that has an opportunity to grow. What would deep unity look like? A unity that's not based just on success, a unity that's not based just on an easiness or a casualness uh, that can stand the test of struggle, can that can stand the test of difference and yet fighting to hold together? What would it look like for the church? And when I say that, I mean like our church at Damascus Road and then the capital C church around the world. What would it look like for the church to live with that kind of unity, that we would fight to maintain that kind of deep unity? We're going to read Romans 5, 5 through 7, just as a starting point. I want to read and then I want to pray. If you have a Bible, 
you can open up there. We'll put it up on the screen. Let's read this from Paul talking to the church about unity, where it comes from and why it exists. And then we'll jump into that. Paul writes in Romans 5, or 15, verses 5 through 7, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let's pray, and I want to jump into this. Father, I thank you um, that you speak with a voice of unity. As Father, Son, Spirit, that you are one God in three persons and you speak united. You don't run off saying different things or conflicting things. You work with unity. You model that for us and you give us a sense of unity and a real unity, even in our differences, even in conflict. You call us to maintain it. Would you give us ears to hear you this morning? Would you make us responsive to you? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In John 17, Jesus, uh, we're given what's called Jesus' high priestly prayer. He's praying in the Garden of the Gethsemane right before he's arrested, and he takes time If you remember, he takes time. He says, guys, I'm going to go away and pray. Would you stay and pray with me? And they all fall asleep. And he's like, please, I want you to be here. And part of his prayer that's recorded is called this high priestly prayer because he's praying for us. He's praying for his disciples. It's striking that in the moments before he's arrested, when he is so troubled, when he's in pain at what is about to come, he's not only praying for me. He's not only praying, God, would you take care of me? He's praying for us. Isn't that remarkable? That he could be pressed and troubled, and yet he prays outward. He prays for his followers. And he says, Father, would you, would you make them one, as you and I are one? And then a little bit later, he says, I'm not even praying just for my followers. I'm praying for those who will believe because of them. Now that's us, right? We believe because of them sharing that faith and then people sharing that faith and sharing that faith. And 2,000 years later, that faith has been handed down to us and we believe because of that. So Jesus is actually praying for you and me here. And he says, I'm no longer in the world. They're in the world. I'm coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. And I do not ask only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me, that we may be one. He prayed for us. He prayed that we would be united. It's like he anticipated the need for unity, right? He knew, he knew how we tend to divide, how we tend to bicker, how we tend to separate, how we tend to isolate, and he prayed that we would be united. And now here again in Romans 15, Paul is praying for unity. Now just as a reference, and not to diminish any other aspect of faith, Here in Romans, starting in Romans 12, Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul spends two verses talking about what it looks like to develop a Christian mind. And then he spends the next six verses talking about how how we're supposed to view ourselves and encourage others. Two verses and then six verses. He spent the next 13 verses calling us to love how important love is in the body. And then he spent seven verses on how the church is called to relate with the state. What that relationship looks like, he tackles in seven verses. And now Paul talks about how Christians are called to accept one another when they do not think or behave as we think they ought. And he spends 35 verses on it. 
all of chapter 14 and this first half of chapter 15 is spent dealing with Christians, how we ought to welcome one another, even when we practice faith a little bit differently. And Paul goes into all the spiritual gifts, and he says, I want you to do this with unity. You're not all the same. I'm not asking you to all conform to one another. I don't need you to all look the same, but I need you to move in the same direction. I need you to be united, even in your differences. And it makes for a stronger unity. 35 verses, a chapter and a half on this topic. So do you think that this is important to Paul? And as Paul speaks on behalf of God, do you think that this is important to God? It's insanely important. And here's a key. The unity that Jesus prays for and that Paul urges us toward, it's not a unity that we create. We don't create this unity. This is a unity that we are given. This is a unity that we are handed. This is a unity that we are brought into. It says Jesus, when he died, when he rose again, he removed the dividing wall. We were reading this passage last night that said when Jesus died, the curtain in the temple was torn in two. It was the curtain that separated the holiest of places, God's presence from the rest of the people. When Jesus died, it was just torn. It was obliterated. The dividing wall was gone. And it's the dividing wall that disappears between us and God. And he brings us into unity with him. And it's also a dividing wall between different people groups. It said the things that cause you to be separated are not things ultimately that keep you divided. I am bringing you to I'm bringing you together in all of your differences and one day we'll sit at a banquet table with people who look a whole lot different than us, right? And it's going to be glorious and it's going to be beautiful with all cultures highlighting Jesus. Highlighting Jesus glorifying Jesus together in all their different ways, Jesus as the one true God. We will worship him together. This is a theme through Scripture. And it causes Paul to write in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, he says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, because, he says, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord and one faith and one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And then it comes again in Colossians 3, 12 through 14, when he says, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, Holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, and kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. We are brought into something. We are united by Jesus, who he is, what he's done, what he continues through the Spirit to do. We are given unity. And then what is our instruction? What's the command for us is to maintain it, to keep it, to fight for it, to live according to it. And this is not always an easy unity. I want to talk real quick this morning about three images of unity. One that Mickey already introduced that we've talked a little bit. Three, intro, uh, three images of unity that we find in the body of what it looks like. Because God's given us pictures and metaphors uh, of what this is called to look like. And the first one is a family. That we're called into the family of God. And, and we're called brothers and sisters, right? We have our Father. Our Father. And Jesus, as the oldest, the eldest brother, came on our behalf to seek us and save us and find us and bring us in and were adopted as sons and daughters. We are 
brothers and sisters. So brothers and sisters know each other. Brothers and sisters spend time together. Sometimes they feel like they spend way too much time together and they just like a break from each other, right? Brothers and sisters see you at your worst. And sometimes they pick on it. And sometimes there's grace in the mix. You don't get to pick your brothers and sisters, right? You, you don't get to pick who's in your family. You are brought into that family. Sometimes you'd like to trade them. Sometimes you'd like to do a swap. But we're not given that choice. But when somebody comes at your brother and sister, something is stirred within, right? They say, you back off. You do not come at my sister that way. And we defend. Even if we bicker, even, even though we quarrel, even though we butt heads and we disagree at times and we'll punch each other at points. When trouble comes, we protect. We defend because we know we're family. So let's be family. Let's act as if we are family because we are. Spend time together. And here's a, here's a challenge that's also wrapped up in invitation. We shouldn't be afraid to let others see us at our worst, especially within the family, right? In fact, it's kind of inevitable. Family will see you at your worst, and it'll be okay. Love doesn't change because you have a rough day. We shouldn't back away from others when we see them at their worst, when we see others slip up, when we see others within the family make mistakes, right? We recognize we're human and we're broken and we make mistakes and we find grace for our brothers and sisters. We love because we're loved, right? I think that's in the Bible somewhere. We love because he first loved us. And so we treat each other as family. The second picture is the picture of a fellowship. And a fellowship doesn't mean let's get together in the basement of the church for coffee after service, right? Fellowship isn't uh, just something that we do. A fellowship is something that we are. Fellowship, the Greek word, this was one of my favorite geek words in college, this word called koinonia, this uh, coming together of a whole bunch of people, sharing something in common because we've been given something in common. So the fellowship of the ring is like that, right? Hobbits and people and elves and dwarves and all kinds of different characters coming together with this mission to do this thing together. That's a fellowship. We don't look the same. We look all kind of different. And yet we've been given this unity to come together to hold this in common. What do we hold in common? We hold the gospel in common. We hold Jesus in common, who he is, what he did for all of us, and how we move with him together. We are different but we are together. And so we don't have to be afraid of being different. Our differences are not a threat to our unity, right? They're a threat to shallow unity because we often think, if somebody doesn't think exactly like me, that puts them over here on the other side. And we're living in a church and in a society that's very easily divided one side or the other. And if you don't agree with me, I don't even listen to you. I just push you away. And the fellowship means we reject that. It says, you disagree with me on this point. One, we should have the freedom to say that. Two, we should do this within community, within the fellowship, not breaking the relationship because of these disagreements even if they're meaningful, even if there's power in what we're talking about. Like, it's not trivial stuff. 
but we fight to maintain the fellowship. What I'd encourage you, as we talk about unity because of the fellowship, what I'd encourage you toward is to find someone different than you and seek out how you can learn from them. Seek out what they have to tell you and teach you how you can grow from them. It might be the family that they were raised in and how that family relates and what a gift it is to see a family relating in a way that's different than yours. It could be a different culture or just a different way of doing things, but you learn from their family a a little bit different way of doing things. It doesn't mean you have to lose who you are. You gain a deeper perspective. And who knows, you might even change to be more like that. Find somebody who has different political beliefs and figure out how you could learn from them. Find out from people who do life differently than you and seek to learn from that relationship. Don't seek to make them just like you. We lose an important aspect of our unity when we try to conform to one another. Right? Our goal has never been to conform to one another. Our goal has been to conform to Jesus and live in the freedom as he's wired us. So we learn from one another. We don't just try to fix one another. The third image is the body. Nikki talked about it. We already brought it up. That Jesus has brought us into the body. And Paul talks about one body with many parts, one body with many members, so that the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you, right? This is how we tend to gravitate. We tend to look at all the eyes that are just like me, all the hands that are just like me, and we isolate ourselves within that because it's easy. Because I like hanging out with hands. I like hanging out with people who are just like me. And yet Paul says, you do that and you have just such a limited view of what God is doing. You cannot, you cannot enjoy the fruit of the body and tell other parts, I wish you'd just go away. I wish you just got kicked out and cut off. That is not enjoying the body that God has given us. And so... Our task is to identify strengths in one another. Identify the beauty in one another. Identify the way God has planted uh, unity in diversity within us. And call that out. Highlight that for people. Uh, Remind them of who they are. Not just the ways that they're like you or like me. Highlight the way that God made them and the way God gifted them and the way God uses them. Shine light on that. That's the idea of we the church, right? As we follow Jesus, we are the church. I don't want you to come and just think, how how will the pastor bless me? What's your role in blessing? What's your role in serving? What's your role in the church? Rise up, church. Rise up. Live with what God has given you. What's in your hand that God has given you to offer? Do it. And it says, we will equip one another as we do that. As you use your gifts and I use my gifts and we use our gifts, we, the church, rise and we shine brighter and brighter and like last week says we fan into flame what jesus has placed within us we encourage it and we say bring it on so let's be family okay to be seen at our worst and welcoming one another even at their worst let's live in the fellowship learning from one another's differences let's honor the body identifying the strengths and covering over the weaknesses, not not pretending they aren't there, but making allowances and giving grace, even in the weaknesses. Family and fellowship and body. Now, let me make a note just about breaking unity. Like Mickey said, this picture that she felt like God 
put in front of her of the body of Jesus dismembered. That's actually what happens when we break the unity. If we're one body with many parts and we say, that's not how I'm going to live, it's like we tear an arm off. That's gruesome and painful. And that's what happens when we break unity. It's not, I'm just going to go to another team. It's destructive and it hurts. Like a break in a family or a fellowship or a body, breaking away always hurts. It can be agonizing, and that's why we fight for unity. That's why if we see somebody slipping away, we say, no, come in, right? Pushing others away hurts. Neglecting others hurts. Giving up hurts. Let's fight. Let's be family. Let's live in the fellowship, honor the body. And here's the why. Romans 15, 6 says, So that, together, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our unity isn't even, the end isn't us, right? We're not doing it ultimately for us. We're, we're doing it so that with one voice, we can bring glory to Jesus with one voice, with an undivided voice, we can bring glory to Jesus. Unity isn't for our comfort. It isn't ultimately about our fulfillment or our happiness or our ease. Our unity brings glory to the Father. Our unity shines like a beacon in a world of easy alliances that are easily broken. We can disagree, but do we value And do we support? We shine so much light when we do. And it points to the Father. I'm excited to begin an era of Damascus Road Church together. We have our differences. And our differences make us stronger. United with one voice that highlights the good news of Jesus Christ. We're moving forward together. We need to be one as Damascus Road Church. And we need to recognize that we are called to be one with the greater universal church in our city and around the world. As Jesus is moving, we bring him glory with one voice. That isn't to dumb down theology or to dumb down convictions or to just conform and get uh, whitewashed away into nothingness, right? It's to stand with conviction and to fight for unity for the glory of Jesus. We live in this unity. And then verse 7 says, welcome one another. Welcome doesn't mean tolerate. Welcome doesn't mean just accept as if like, okay, fine, I guess you'll have to come along. Welcome means you open the door to your life. And you say, you're welcome here. You're welcome with me. You are welcome with us. We welcome one another just as Christ has welcomed you. And I, so I want to throw this stone out into the pond. And you know how you do that and the ripples go out, those concentric circles just kind of make ripples. I want you to think about the different uh, circles in your life, the way unity might ripple through all of those. As Christ has welcomed you, you throw that stone out into the pond and that first, that first stone lands right with you. As Christ has welcomed you. Do you know that Christ has welcomed you? Because it'll be fake. It'll be a false unity if you start to invite other people into something that you don't even feel invited into. You don't even feel welcomed into. I want you to know so deeply from the core of who you are that you are loved. That the Father loves you with a love that cannot be shaken off. As he has welcomed you, then you can start to ripple out. If you don't know that, 
Start to ask about that. God, is that true for me? Maybe you've never even thought about that. God, you welcome me? Don't let that slip away. Don't just jump into the next thing of like doing the right Christian life. If you aren't personally welcomed, this is going to be a mess. After you know that you are loved, after you know that you have been welcomed, then you get to extend what you've already received. And I want you to welcome one another. And the ripples start close and they move out. What does it look like to live united in the unity that Jesus offers in your family? Because we can talk about living united in the church or living united in the city or living united in this country, but our homes, our homes have so much unrest. What would it look like to go home today and have a conversation about unity? have a conversation about how we fight for one another in this family. We give for each other in this family. We make allowances for each other in this family. Could your families use that? I know mine could. Don't ripple past your family on the road to unity. Start at home. And ripple out just a little bit. The church I mean, we're combining, and it's going to be messy in some ways. It's going to be great in lots of ways. I'm so excited about what God is doing. But we have people who are different, who are getting smashed together. And, man, God does some amazing things in that mess. So how do we walk with unity with people who are different than us, right? We fight for it. What does it look like to fight for unity within this church What's it look like to fight for unity in in the church in this city, in our city? That we wouldn't look to another congregation and call them the enemies or outsider, you know, like that we would recognize we're called into Jesus and we're in this together. There is a kingdom movement happening and we embrace it, right? Right? How do we walk with unity with the church in our city? How do we walk in unity with the church around the world? What does that look like? So I'll leave you with a question. Do you have a break in unity? If Jesus has welcomed you, if Jesus has brought you into unity, are you living in a break? And who's that with? And what what could you do to work toward reconciliation? Not just covering over, not, for, not just to pretend things are fine. What's it look like to truly walk toward reconciliation where you notice the break? Have you hurt someone and you need to make amends? Do that. And don't do it in shame Do it toward unity. Do it toward reconciliation. Do it because you've already been welcomed by Jesus and you get to live out of that. And if you need to face into some hard things, then do it because you know it's worth it. And if somebody's hurt you, what does it look like to face into forgiveness? And to do that wisely, not just to brush things away and say, it's all going to be okay, but to actually work through reconciliation. And trust as much as it could be rebuilt. What does that look like for you? Who do you need to embrace? Or like verse 7, we say, who do you need to welcome? Who do you need to reach out to and say, we have not been living in unity, and I want to pursue that? Not a manipulation tool, not passive-aggressive, not covering things over but just saying, here's the truth. We're divided. Let's not stay that way. Let's pray. Father, you're the creator and giver of unity. We thank you that you have given to us and called us into a unity that isn't just conformity, 
that doesn't just wipe away our differences, but raises up our diversity as beautiful. And we pray that you give us eyes to see the beauty of your body, the beauty of your fellowship, the things that you are doing in us. Father, we pray, we invite you to work into the dark spots, the corners of our lives where we isolate, where we neglect and we push away. We invite you in because we want what you have. Thank you for giving us unity. Make us a church that fights for it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With communion, to put into practice and to recognize what Jesus fought for. And Jesus said, you are separated and I've come to bring you home. You are separated from God and I've come to bring you in so that you can be united once again with the God who created you and who loves you and sacrifices for you. And as you come up, as you take these elements and take them back to your seat, this is the time of reflection. This is the time to say, Jesus, you did this for me. You did this for us. You don't just call us to unity. You create the unity. Your body was broken so that I could be welcomed in, so that we could be united. Now I want you to take the time to focus on his sacrifice and then focus on and receive again the gift of life and unity that he offers through his death and through his resurrection. It's ours.